Are you tired of losing sales? Do you wish you had proven strategies that would help you increase your sales today, not in three months? You could Google it, but Google is in the information business. And I am in the transformation business. Welcome, Welcome. to the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast, where we will share three actionable sales strategies that you can implement in your business today to increase your sales tomorrow. This includes tactics, tips, and techniques from industry experts, influencers, and sales pros to help you shorten your learning curve and increase your bottom line. The more sales strategies we simplify for you, the shorter your sales cycle and the more money in the bank. Now your host, host, host. multi-award-winning sales expert and international speaker, Wesleyan Greer. Hello, and welcome to the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Today, you are in for a big treat. We have John Adams with us. How are you, John? I'm doing great. How are you, Wesleyan? I'm doing lovely. Let me tell you guys a little bit more about John. He's a driven and dynamic leader with diverse experience in general management, international operations, strategic marketing, sales, product development, and manufacturing. He brings a proven track record of executive leadership in change management, P&L management, strategic planning, sales and marketing, product development, and operational excellence. His record of leadership has resulted in measurable benefits to companies. You have a very diverse background, not just in sales and marketing, but you've worked on the operation side and change management. So tell us, how did you get into this? How did you get into what you're doing today? Thank you. It's been a long road with a lot of turns, as are most people's careers. And uh, it's always a little different the way it turns out than when you start. But really, ever since uh, as a teenager, always focused on the customer first, no matter what I was doing, right? So starting in engineering, my first assignments were out helping customers solve problems. And then from there, trying to design new products that didn't have the same issues that their current products did. And really just moved on from there. Requirements definition into marketing, general management, and then uh, and then into sales, VPS sales and, and on and out. So it's been quite a journey and, and very exciting. Always the customer at the center. I love that. And, you know, I always tell people because I'm such a sales minded person that everyone within the company is a salesperson. And it doesn't matter if you are selling to internal or external customers, you're still a salesperson, right? Because if you are an engineer and you are having to make a product that needs to get to the next step to be launched, who are you selling to? You're selling to the product managers, right? You're saying, hey, I believe in this. This is what I know works. So that's awesome. Of those different jobs or responsibilities that you've had, which one is your favorite? I think, uh, you know, one of the most exciting ones, um, when I joined uh, Danaher, I had not been in sales before, actually. And uh, they had looked at my background and said, you know, we think you need some sales experience and we think this is the opportunity for you. And so I had, I had the chance to go and uh, really spend 12 weeks before I even entered my job just benchmarking other companies throughout Danaher, seeing how they developed products, sold products, manufactured products, and was able to make connections all throughout the company. And then was put into a business that had been declining for five years straight in terms of sales, very profitable, very well-run business, but just hadn't had a growth focus. And it was there that I was able to really step back and, and assess you know, what are the big opportunities for this business? What are the markets that we can really focus on? 
what kind of team do we need to evolve this? And uh, we grew that business over 40% organically over the next six years uh, just by really implementing some strong lead generation and sales execution infrastructure. I like that because, you know, a lot of times now when people start in sales or any new position within a company, they just have to, you know, put the pedal to the metal. They don't get any ramp up time. They're expected to produce and do and move immediately. But you got 12 weeks to learn. So in that 12 weeks, I'm curious, what types of things did you learn that really set you up for success for that 40% growth? Well, one of the primary uh, things that I learned, and as you stated at the beginning of our discussion, everybody's in sales. And especially when you go into a a business that hasn't been as growth oriented anyways, trying to make that transition, uh, very often you don't have the products you need just sitting on the shelf ready to go. Otherwise, there's already good people there. They would have figured that out, right? So the problem statement's usually a little broader than that. There's usually more work that needs to be done to understand what does the customer need How do you prioritize that within the business and figure out what to have everybody spend their time on? And so a lot of insight into how to do that and was able to bring that back to the business and work with the group overall to help everybody understand what is the sales process from prospecting to actually delivering the product and then work with the group and say, okay, what role, what's your role in that process? And doing that by saying, you know, if this is the step, if we are qualifying an account, what are the inputs that are needed in order to be able to do that? Hmm. And who has the information in order to do that? It might be cost information. It might be product capability information. On the backside, who's the customer for that internally? What information are you going to generate and who's going to generate it to get that out? So when you step back and look at that, at the quote process, the same thing, you know, what are the customer's needs? And then the output from the development team or the marketing team or sales team, everything from quotes to product configurations and whatnot. When you really map that out and color code it and show everybody what their role in sales is, they now get a much broader appreciation for what questions are being asked and why. And in the future are able to project what they're going to be asked to do. So they say, oh, wow, we have all these opportunities coming through. A number of these are at this phase or that phase. I understand where the requests are going to come from. I know what people are going to be looking for. They're better prepared when the questions come. It's not this black box of sales that happens in many organizations. It becomes a much more cross-functional and exciting uh, endeavor for everybody. I love that. And I can definitely tell you're an engineer because you talked about the process. <laughs> and um, there's so many people. I, I always talk about how important a sales process is. And what I really gleaned from what you said is it's not just a process in a vacuum, which a lot of times people just take this process and they're like, okay, now we're going to force it into the organization. You said I took the process and then I mapped it with the people within the organization to ensure that everyone knew their role and the steps that they needed to take to ensure the process from the lead being generated to the product being delivered, what they need to do. Exactly. And if you talk to some of the strongest salespeople out there, if they're being honest with you, they'll say the bane of their existence is a CRM system. Anything they need to do to report, anything they need to do, because it's not value added to the customer. Okay. And the mistake that so many companies do is they take a fantastic product like Salesforce. I'm a huge advocate of that, but they just apply it. Right. And as an engineer, the CRM system is nothing more than a robot. It's automation. And it's only as good as what you're automating. So if you're automating no process or an obsolete process, 
those robots just go sit on the sideline. Nobody uses them because they're not helping people do their jobs. And CRMs are the same way. So the emphasis that we always put on is what is the process? What does the salesperson need to do to close the deal? And we do that on pen, on paper, some basic Excel sheets, but we really focus on what is it that needs to be done and then use that as the requirements basis for designing a CRM specific to that business. So I've done four different implementations, not a single one of them have been the same because until they're automating a process defined, it's not going to work. And if somebody just runs in and says, well, we need Salesforce, obviously this business doesn't have it. Um, you can really do more damage than help in the business. So critical tools, but the process comes first. Yeah. And you know, the thing is you have to help salespeople. You have to help the organization understand how those tools are beneficial to them. Right? So a lot of times I hear salespeople, well, how does this help me close a deal? How does this help me close business? And my question is, if you have a full pipeline, you should not know off the top of your head, everything that's happening within a deal, right? You should not. And right. unless you document it somewhere, you'll forget the next time Bob calls or emails what the last conversation was because nobody's memory is that good. Now, if your pipeline is weak and you only have five or six deals in there, yeah, you know. So there's a whole nother problem there, but really helping salespeople and operations people, everybody within the organization understand the benefit of the tools. So when you transitioned into sales management, you talked a lot about the CRM and the process. What were some of the, the challenges that you faced when you were a brand new sales manager? So the biggest challenge is that when you look at an opportunity going forward, there's always going to be an obstacle. Right. And sometimes those obstacles are internally. Well, I sent so and so an email. I'm waiting to get something back or I need a quote. Somebody has to generate it or I went to the customer and asked for this. I'm waiting for them to get back to me. Right. No matter where you are, that's what you hear. And so we ran into that. Every business runs into that. And so the the focus that we had, the hypothesis that I've always run with is if I can get the solution to the customer before my competitor does my likelihood of winning goes up. Mm. Now, how much it goes up, how quickly it goes up, that varies by market segment. But if you have the right solution the customer wants first, your likelihood of winning is much higher. And so the focus that we did was we looked at an opportunity going through the funnel. We said, okay, there's five, six stages, whatever there is in your business. What is holding this opportunity up today, this week? And so in our business, it wasn't unusual to have three or 400 different sales opportunities. But the reality was, based on the size of the deal, the strategic fit of the deal, there were always about 50 that we really had to keep our eye on. So we let the sales team focus on the other 250, 300, but we got the leadership involved in those top 50 because those were the needle movers, those were the more complex ones, and those are the ones that needed help. And so what we did, what stage are you at? What help do you need? And we made it the sales uh, manager's job to come in and say, here's the help I need to move this through. And we had all the VPs and directors there. So if we had to move people around, if we had to fund something, that was the point where that request came through. And so we put the salesperson in the driver's seat, thereby putting the customer in the driver's seat. And our job was to do whatever we had to do to make them successful. And if you run an organization that serves the salesperson, you're going to win. Hmm. 
That's good. And, you know, I like that the way that you, because so many times I think what sales leadership gets wrong is they'll take those bigger deals and they'll just handle them themselves. Right. And they don't keep the salesperson involved and that salesperson kind of loses motivation. And they're like, well, if my manager's closing all of these multi-million dollar deals and I'm just closing these hundred thousand dollar deals, why do they get to make all the money kind of thing? So it really hurts the morale. So by saying, okay, these are the top tier where these are the ones that we see the highest potential with, and we want to help you be successful. So what can we do to really ensure that you're successful? And by working alongside the salesperson, the sales leader, it helps to coach the salesperson to be better salesperson, period. So I really like that, that position you guys took. I really like what you did because I think that it helped build the culture within the company. It really does. And it can then conditions the sales team to bring more deals like that because they see which types of opportunities get the support. They start to understand why, and they naturally look for more opportunities like that, right? The salesperson wants to be successful. They want to see what success looks like, and they want to emulate that. And so it really requires to have a sound strategy, a sound understanding of where you want your team focused. But if you do that and you can show them some good examples, it's a great training ground for uh, newer salespeople that are coming in. It gives them some good mentorship and some great examples to go after. And it's not always rocket science. It's just about consistency and consistency in a particular business. And so if you get a good recipe uh, down and, and you see what's working and you got the support of your organization, it gets really fun really fast. So what about a, um, a situation or a time where things didn't go according to plan and you had to either stop course or write the course, one of those aha moments? Can you share something? You know, in our case, uh, one example I had, we were dealing with quality issues, right? That got in the way of a customer being successful. And so anytime you, you have a quality or a delivery issue, it becomes a uh, big stall in an account, right? And can lead to a lot of frustration for the sales team because often in those cases, if you're in a product space, not so much a service, but in a product space, a lot of those elements are a bit out of control of the sales team, mm-hmm. right? They did all the work, they laid the groundwork, and then something happened that wasn't expected. They have a disappointed customer and there's really not much in, in their control they can handle. And so those can be among some of the more frustrating situations for a sales team. And what's really important there is how you respond to that. A, as a sales leader or as a business leader, how you respond to your sales team and helping them understand that, that you understand the urgency, that it is a top priority, it's going to be addressed, and then engaging with them and the customer to help the customer understand where the accountability lies in the business and what you're doing about that, right? Mm-hmm. So the organization really needs to get behind a sales manager when those occur and give the customer the confidence that there's a team working on it, that they're not leaving their sales manager out to dry uh, to handle this because you can see right through that. So if you've been in it long enough, you've run into a situation like that, anybody listening uh, can relate to a couple of those. And the most successful responses where you do turn it around as a team, you do it quickly, you have open communication with the customer, you know, they understand things don't always go well, right? Everybody makes mistakes. Every company trips. Nobody's immune to it. It's how you respond in that situation. If you respond well, And it's something that doesn't happen often, but they know when it does happen that you're there and you're going to make it better. You gain a lot of trust and that trust can become a foundation for stronger growth going forward. So at the time they feel awful, 
but you have to use it as a trust building experience and, and have that team focus on sales already so that when you come through it, everybody's winning. Mm, that's good. That's really good. I really like your team element. You talk about the team and everything in all of your stories and just the way that you talk about it. And you know, one of the biggest frustrations or headaches, like you said, for a salesperson is I worked so hard. I got this PO and now the parts are delayed or now they can't make the thing or they can't put it together because of this one thing. And I told the customer we were going to deliver in six weeks, but now it's going to be 12 weeks. And really the salesperson is always, I like to say the face of the organization, right? And as the face of the organization, they have to deal with everything that's happening, right? And so they get all the fire, they get all the everything from the customer. And then operations is like, well, you didn't give us enough lead time. But what you said was so important. And that is let's work together as a team, right? Yep. So let's fix this as a team. It's the salesperson, it's the sales manager, it's the operations leader. It's like, how can we get this all together? And you want to step back when those experiences don't go well and figure out what happened, right? And mm -hmm. Whatever terminology you use in your business, there are terms like an A3, a problem-solving process, whatever that is, a good sales process has you step back at the end if you lost or won and say what went well or what was a challenge. And again, not on every deal, but on the big ones. You're taking those top needle movers that are really pushing and saying what went well, what didn't go so well, and what do we need to do differently next time? You focus on the process, not the person. It wasn't somebody's fault that there was a quality defect. There was a process breakdown that resulted in that. And to the extent we get acknowledgement of that and we have an approach, accountability to improve that process so it doesn't happen again, that's really all you can ask for. And if you just do that day in and day out, you will become one of the top performing organizations in your field. So let's kind of walk through best practices for when you're taking those deals. And I like to call it triaging. And my saying is it's okay to lose a deal, but it's not okay to lose the same way twice, right? So how do we uncover what happened? Like what are some steps or some tips that you could give us to really figure out what happened? Why did we lose that deal? So the front end is, is it a deal that everybody wanted to win in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. So is it aligned to your strategic plan, right? Is it in your key segments? Do you have the products and the value propositions that may put you in a position to win in the first place? Does the customer really have an articulated need for your product or solution? So they think they want it. Do they have the funding behind it? Are you at the right level of the organization that has the influence to actually specify your product or not? And you know, these become bigger questions when the deals are hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars than they are if they're 50 or $100, right? So what, do you, what product are you selling and who's really the influencer and buyer in your decision? You need to really understand that. So is it the segment? Are you talking to the right people in the first place? And then who's your competition selling to that person? And how are you differentiating yourself from that competitor? So Usually starting there gives you quite a bit of insight with a few questions as to, were you ever in a position to win in the first place? And if so, okay, let's really dig deep because it was probably a competitive loss and we need to better understand, you know, what did we do collectively to position or not position as well? Why are they in? Who are the influencers? 
I've seen some crazy things over time, right? I, I've, uh, there are cases where there are key influencers that just don't support the organization you're in, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen companies send headhunters out to move people out of that company to clear obstacles so that they can go and sell into that organization. <laughs> wow. Right? And there are, there are some very sophisticated things that happen if you really understand where the blockers are that are impeding your ability to move forward. Or on the other side, it just comes down to straight up selling processes or product alignment. Mm. You gave so much fabulous information. And, you know, a couple things that really stood out was the first thing you said. Should we really be selling here anyways? Like, is this is this good business? Because not all business is good business. And then the influencers. I talk about the team of influencers because it's not an influencer. It's the team of influencers that are in this buying situation. And do you understand that? Are you asking the right questions to make sure that you're getting buy-in from the influencers, that they're coming to the table? Because if you're just talking to the one person that's on the bottom of the total, and it's a a million dollar purchase and it's dragging on and on and on then you say oh we lost based on price that's the biggest cop out we lost based on price really (laughs) after working on a deal for six or 12 months you lost based on price and so i think that really each like you said each of those big opportunities and for different industries it's different a big opportunity might be five thousand dollars for one organization for another it might be a million dollars or two million dollars And you really need to understand why you're losing. Because when you understand why you're losing, you can win more business. And there are always competitors, right? There are always competitors, always. Why I don't understand, why do salespeople never think about the competitors? What what are your thoughts on competition? Yeah, there is always a competitor. Or if there's not a competitor that you can articulate, then the customer has the option to not buy your product or service at all, right? And so... There's a substitute that might not look like or taste like what you're offering, but it is something else that they have an option to go after. So you have to understand uh, what their options are, what the implication is of them not buying. And so, you know, as a sales leader, your focus is always on that, right? Helping your sales team understand where to spend their time because they don't necessarily have the visibility into is my time better spent on this account versus this account or this opportunity versus that? The sales leaders are really the ones best positioned to have that higher level view of, of the size of the opportunity and the competitive position and set those sales, uh, those sales associates up for success. Mm. And a lot of times we see salespeople really struggle is when they're left alone, right? When they're off trying to figure out where and how to prospect without a lot of guidance, because that's not value added for them, right? Mm-hmm. Their job's to qualify and close. They really need that funnel coming in on that front end. And so as a sales leader, how you do lead generation and how you know that with customer service can be pretty key to setting the rest of the team up properly. So in a, um, if you could give a, a nutshell of what you feel that a good sales manager, a good sales leader, their responsibility is to their team, what would that be? So first is, you know, uh, really constant engagement and feedback. So clear articulation of goals. Here's what's expected. Here's where you're expected to win. Here's the tools that you have and helping develop them to leverage those. When things don't go well, right, being data driven and there's no really bigger enemy of sales than time, 
right? So if you don't talk about a deal for a month and then you're surprised after a month goes by that things aren't going swimmingly, you know, that's, that's on you as a leader. So that day in, day out, nobody gets too excited about something if we only lost a day or two, right? There's plenty of time to recover. A week, well, maybe we start to get a little stressed. A month, now we're surprised and you're catching people off guard. That's where the temperature goes up and the communication shuts down. So the sales leader really needs to, again, on the big deals, be in there on a regular cadence, servant leadership, really helping understand and clear obstacles and, and, and support uh, the team through that. But do it with data, be data driven. You know, a, a great sales manager needs to be pretty proficient in Excel. They need to be able to slice and dice data. They need to be able to take complex, very raw data sets and make sense out of what does that mean to me and the sales team in the business? Where should we be focusing? What should we be qualifying? If it falls out of the funnel, what's the next one to go behind it? And then launch the sales team against it and give them the coaching. That's what I see a lot as, you know, you take a great salesperson and you make them a sales manager and, you know, Excel and PCs aren't their thing. They're not going to be successful. I never carried a bag. I was never, you know, a salesperson on the ground with an account doing that. But I was a very successful sales leader. It's a very different skill set. Very different. And you know, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is you can become a better sales leader, right? A lot of times people, especially when you transition from being a salesperson to be going into sales management, it's a very, very different world, right? It's totally, it's two different sure. things. And there isn't that much guidance and structure out there. When you're a new salesperson, there are a gazillion classes and books and everything that you can do or read, consume, but then you're a sales manager and you're on an island alone and you're scared to ask your boss because then you would feel like you have failed. And so a lot of times it's just about really getting down to what do I have to do to make this team successful and blocking out all of the other distractions, right? Like really focusing on these are the elements, these are the specific things needed to make my team successful. Yep, and if you start with the customer to figure that out, you get a lot of credibility and, and your likelihood of success goes up. That is always start with the customer in mind. It's not about yep. you. Nobody cares about you. Wesleyan's favorite saying, you are unimportant. It is all about the customer and what they need. So as we wrap up, I would love for you to share a success story of a salesperson who was the underdog or a deal that you won working in this team environment that you've spoken so much about. Sure. So we had a um, one of the businesses I joined, we had a, a product line that had been pretty stagnant. And a lot of people were complaining about the effectiveness of the sales individual and about the success of the product line. And what had happened, what it turned out, you know, in the automotive space, we had an outstanding value proposition, but we had to do some custom development for our customers in order to be able to win the business. There was an off-the-shelf solution. And that investment was not huge time-wise, and the customer was willing to pay for it, but it was complicated and not a lot of folks understood it. Over about a uh, four-year period, we tripled that business from $5 million to $15 million at some of the highest margins we had just by taking a very focused view of the key. There were four or five key accounts there. Once you got the business, you were locked in for five years. You had to do nothing other than pump the parts out. 
but you had to do a lot of work on that front end in terms of qualifying and then making the capital investment to be able to manufacture those products. And so uh, it was a major boost to that business, again, by really listening to the sales team and making sales everybody's job, mm -hmm. and then rallying around that from manufacturing to design uh, to sales and marketing to drive that success. And that is a great note to end on. So many people are looking for the fast sale, the thing that they want to close tomorrow or next week, but you got to have a pipeline with short, medium, and long-term deals, right? And those long-term are usually those higher value. And like you said, that business tripled based on a few key accounts. So keep in mind that it's not all about the next month or the next quarter. It's about the next year or the next few years. Right. Thank you so much, John. This was such an awesome chat. You gave us so many golden nuggets. If people want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, John S. Adams on LinkedIn. And uh, you should be able to go from there. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us and sharing all of your insights on sales and sales leadership and sales team development and process. I'm a chemist, so I love sales process. Not a lot of people talk about the process, but the process is so important. Yep. Happy to help. And uh, thank you for inviting me. Really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you so much again. This was a blast. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.